How many of you believe that God has something great in store for us today? How many of you believe that? So early yesterday morning, uh, I'm going to share a vision that someone else had tonight in my message, but I want to share something with you this morning that God gave me early yesterday morning. So it was a Sunday morning just like today. In fact, it was identical today. It was overcast, uh, kind of foggy, and uh, we were finishing up church, and we were standing around, and folks just filtered out, made their way out, until there were two people left in the building, and it was me and Brother Dustin, and I, was, I turned the lights off in the sanctuary, and when I turned and looked, we had the lights off in the foyer, but you could see because of the natural light coming in. There was a family standing at the door. And he opened the door and let them come in. They didn't say anything to anybody. They just walked toward the sanctuary. And I flipped the light on. I said, well, come on in. And then I looked. He said, he said you better leave the lights on. He said, there's, there's a whole lot more people that are just pulling up. They're pulling up to come in the church. And they were coming in. And I didn't know any of them. They were coming. It wasn't you folks. Y'all done left and went home, going to eat. And these folks were just filing in. And I said, well, I said, Dustin, I said, call the team back. I said, well, these folks want to have church. We'll just have church. And so when I came back in this building, it was about three times the size of this building, and it was filled with people that I had never seen before in my life. And so I came out on the platform, and I'm thinking, and they're worshiping, they're praising God, and, and the singers are ready, and and, and I said, well, I, they didn't hear the message I just preached, so I guess I can preach that message again. And I woke up. Now, I'm going to share a vision with you that somebody else had that don't even go to church here that had a vision about this church and what God's getting ready to do. Folks, you got to understand, I'm not just talking to you when I tell you they are coming. You better get ready. I want you to lift your hands and say, God, I want you to bring it to pass. I want you to make it happen. By the power of the Holy Ghost. This world is in a mess. This world needs Jesus. This world needs a church that preaches the blood and forgiveness and Calvary and the infilling of the Spirit. This community needs a church. This state needs a church. This world needs a church. So before you're seated, I want you to lift your hands and say, God, i got to beat the devil today. I've got to win over my adversary. He's, he's beaten me down long enough. He's held me captive to sickness and disease long enough. I've got, I've got too many losses in the loss column. I need some victories over the enemy of my soul and some victories over the enemy of my spirit. Come on, God, open my eyes and give me the tools that I can defeat the enemy on every level in my life today. You can be seated. God bless you. Thank you. I had an evangelist come through a few years back. And uh, we were sitting in my truck in my front yard. And he was just picking my brain. He was talking to me. He wanted to know things. He said, tell me some things I don't know. He said, in fact, we finally got to the place where he said, tell me something that has changed your outlook, your ministry, your understanding. And I said, if I could tell you anything that I wish I could impart to the kingdom of God at large is number one, listen to me very carefully. Something you need to know is that your life, my life, every aspect is based on seasons. It's based on seasons. In Luke 4, Jesus, 
and I talked about this last weekend, he was tempted of the devil. And, and this, command the stones to me, bread, fall down and worship me, I give you the kingdoms. Fall down off this pillar, the angels will swoop down and pick you up before you dash your foot against the stone. And the word of God says that, that he resisted the devil, and it's something so profound in Luke 4, it says, And the devil departed from him for a season. He's not going to leave you alone very long. You can defeat him, but he will come back. He will return, and you're going to have to tangle with him again. And the things that Christians need to understand is that life, my life and your life, is filled with seasons. There are seasons of attack. There are seasons of peace. There are seasons when you lack resources, and there are seasons when you are full with prosperity. And most people never understand the process of seasons. Churches go through seasons. Marriages go through seasons. Individual lives go through seasons. And, and we never grasp that and understand it. We, we go out and we make obligations when things are going well, when we've got a job, a lot of money in the bank, everything going well. And you go out and make obligations when things are going well with no thought to the fact that there will come a time when you're not making as much money as you're making right now. Life is filled with seasons. And smart people understand that no matter what's going on in my life today, come on somebody, it's only for a season. I cannot declare that to you enough, that life is filled with seasons. There will be times when it seems like God is blessing you and every prayer that you pray seems to be getting answered, but then you're going to have dry seasons when times are lean and your prayers don't even appear to be heard by God. That is a season that you will go through. But you have to understand this about God, is God is trying to develop an attitude and a culture in people that you will remain consistent regardless of the circumstances in your life. That you will be like Job, whether I have it or whether I don't have it, I'm going to praise his name. I'm going to be faithful to the house of God. I'm going to give when I've got money. I'm going to give when I don't have much money. I'm going to be faithful in every season. So let me help you. The culture that I've tried to create in this church over the last 14 years is I've tried to create a culture that teaches you the value of consistency. I've tried to create a culture. And, and so let me just draw an inference, an example, if I may. Shouting, for instance. And this is a shouting church. We shout, we dance, we run, we leap, we shout, we spin, we turn. Uh, but I want you to understand something about that. Is I don't want you to ever think that shouting is any kind of gauge or metric or measuring stick for your closeness or your walk with God. It isn't. Shouting is shouting. But when it comes to your walk with God, that is a shallow measuring stick for your spirituality. Because your shout is no good if when you walk out of here and walk out of your shouting experience, you can't walk straight and uprightly before God. Thank you for that rousing affirmation. But it's the truth anyway. If your Holy Ghost is only good for a run or a dance, but it doesn't affect your walk, then I'm sorry, you don't have much Holy Ghost. Because 
What I want to preach to you is worship because worship is deeper. Worship alters you. Worship is me in the presence of God, seeing God like Isaiah, high and lifted up, his light and his grace and his power. In these moments, they will change me. I don't care how well you shout, how well you dance, how many laps you can make around this church before you get tired. How are you living after the church service is done? Is there a consistency in your walk with God? Now, y'all should have stayed home this morning and slept in. These moments produce consistency. And John, run. John, run. Uh, Charles, run. Wendell, run. All you got, y'all run because I know y'all are living the life when you walk out of this place that you're not fakers and frauds and impostors. You really do love the Lord and you really do serve God. And that's what we want. These moments produce consistency. The reason worship is different is Jesus said that worship is spirit and truth. Worship is, God, I'm thankful for what I'm feeling in the presence and the power, but I don't just want my heart to be moved. I want my heart to be turned. You see, we're very good at letting God move us, but we are awful at letting God turn our lives and turn our hearts and turn our postures in the direction that he wants us to go. It's deeper. It's consistency. And so one of the things that we are going to have to have in order to mature and grow is we're going to have to start winning some of these battles that we're losing in our lives. We are going to have to move and turn the tide against the enemy. And we've got to enter into these trials and battles with the enemy and not come out with black eyes and lacerated lips but we got to come out victorious with our hands in the air and our spirits lifted up and one of the ways I know that I'm in a spiritual battle and an encounter is this when I sense and see that there's an increase in a particular area of challenges then I know that's a demonic attack when I see and recognize that I'm on the brink of something significant happening in my life, and then I know that's when the enemy comes in strong and tries to keep me from that place that God is destined for me to get to because he knows if he can, if he can stop me, if I ever get to that place, then I'm going to wreak havoc on his kingdom. How many of you know when you're just about to reach it, when you can sense and smell the anointing and victory in the air, when you sense victory is about to come, then get ready the devil's going to show up with your victory and he's going to try to push you back into the corner and the cave that you just came out of the word of God says don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you that, that God has been prepping you and, and just about the time it becomes a reality that Satan will intensify his efforts to try to distract you and pull you away from that thing that God is ready to do in your life anytime the devil intensifies his efforts in my life I know I need to pray harder because I'm almost to a breakthrough so in Ephesians 6 the last chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus they are, they are very powerful church partly uh, because I believe they took the instructions that Paul gave them and applied it to their lives and the difference between people who are going to be victorious in this battle against Satan are the people that are going to take these teachings that you've been getting around here and practically apply them to your life. Some folks are just going to dismiss it. They're, they're going to come to be entertained or just hear 
It's not significant to them. They don't interface this into their life. But a handful of you are, are really tying into what I'm saying right now and saying, I'm tired of being beat up by the devil. I'm tired of the devil winning. I'm tired of being defeated in this area. I want to overcome Satan in this particular area of my life. And so how many of you know that the strongest, the most capable, the smartest among us still have the potential of being tricked by the devil? He can still trick you. So Ephesians 6.10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And what I'm going to teach you over the coming days, over probably many lessons, we're going to dive into this, that in order for you to reach God's potential for your life, it's going to require discipline. It's going to require discipline. When somebody starts a diet, how many of you have ever started a diet? How many of you have ever started a diet? I mean, he's ever finished a diet. The hands will probably go down. Started a diet, hadn't quite finished. Yeah, how many of you started a diet and before the day was over, you finished your diet? How about that? that that's probably more apropos. The first thing somebody does when they get ready to start a diet is they get the Twinkies and the fat foods and the Oreos and the Dr. Peppers and the, and the sweet tea that's thick like syrup. They get that out of the, how many do that? When you get ready to go on a diet, you got to get the cookies, the cakes, the candies. You got to get all of that bad stuff out of your house because you're going on a diet and you know, you know yourself that when you hit that snack attack hits you at about 930 and you're sitting on the couch and it just gets all over you man it's just and you go in that kitchen you know that there's a weakness embedded in you you're going to get you're not going to go for the celery and the broccoli and the water you're going to go for the Twinkies the Oreos and the Dr. Pepper I figured somebody would be running around the church right now because I'm preaching so good here's the problem if you get all that stuff out of your house everywhere that you go there's going to be, if you stop to get gasoline, guess what's in there? There's Cokes and Twinkies and Little Debbie Cakes and Hostess and all that stuff is in there. And even though it's out of your house, Cooley, that you still get tempted. And what happens is, even though it's not in your house, you leave the store with a 20-ounce and a Hostess cake. And you go out there and you wreck your diet and it's all over before it even gets started. So what you got to understand, in order to finish that diet, you've got to have an enough discipline in your life to withstand it everywhere it's not enough to get it out of your house you got to be disciplined enough at your job they've got little vending machines that have a, they don't put healthy food in the vending machine so you got to have discipline to withstand it everywhere that you go Here's the problem. The devil has placed sin, temptation everywhere. It's within arm's reach everywhere you go. It's on every billboard. It's in every ad. It's on every commercial. It's in the newspaper, the magazine, in every store that you go in, what you listen to, what you watch. It's even in the palm of your hand. You can't even answer a call without an ad or something popping up showing you a temptation in your life. And if you don't 
don't learn the discipline of putting on the whole armor of God before you even leave your house. I don't care what kind of prayer meeting you have at seven before you leave. When you walk out that door, you've got to have the whole armor. You've got to have it on your head. You've got to have it on your heart. You've got to have it on your hands. You've got to have it in every area and aspect of your life. And if you don't learn the value, you will not survive. You will not thrive. You will live with the devil's foot on your neck in perpetuity. It will be passed down to your kids. It is the fact of being disciplined in your life. And every day you wake up and you got to put it on. Nobody can pray. I can't pray the whole armor of God on you. I I can't lay hands on you and activate the whole armor of God. You have to get up every day and make a disciplined, conscious decision that this is what I'm applying to my life. It's a practical application that you have to do. How many of you pray this before you even leave your house? God, guard my mind. God, guard my eyes. Guard my tongue. Tell your neighbor, you've got to be disciplined. You've got to be disciplined. So put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the tricks, the wiles of the devil. The devil is a trickster. He's full of schemes. He's full of plots. And the problem is he's been tricking people with the same mess for thousands and thousands of years. And it seems to me that we ought to be smart enough by now because we saw it right in our own homes. How your daddy failed, how your mama failed, how your grandparents failed, how your cousin failed, your co-workers failed. And we ought to be smart enough to say, I'm not going to do what they did. But unfortunately, somehow we think we can break the rules and it doesn't apply to us. That I can do the same thing that they did but the consequences won't happen to me that's how we get tricked you know I could go out there and climb up on top the roof and jump off this building saved sanctified and delivered with my hands raised talking in tongues on my way down but how many knows when I hit the ground there's going to be consequences repercussions and trouble you cannot make bad choices and let the devil have free course in your life and not have repercussions and trouble and struggles he tricked Eve he tricked Adam he tricked Samson the Bible says we ought not be ignorant of his devices we shouldn't be ignorant to the tricks that the devil uses against us So he said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the tricks of the devil. Watch this, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's a wrestling match. It's a no-holds-barred, steel cage, ladders, metal chairs, flying off the top rope, wrestling match with no rules, no referees. But the test says you're not wrestling against flesh and blood. You got to get this. We think our battle is with human beings. We think our battle 
uh, the fight is not with your spouse, it's not with your boss, it's not with your husband, it's not with the person on your pew, it's not with your family. Your battle is not with flesh and blood. I don't know how to help people understand this. The real issue is not the person you're arguing with. It's the spirit behind the person who's influencing the events. You are wrestling with the wrong phone. Watch this. When Simon Peter pulled Jesus aside after all this talk about crucifixion and going to Jerusalem and hanging on a cross, Simon pulled him aside and said, Far be it from thee, Lord. We will not let this happen to you. Watch what Jesus did. He could have scolded Simon. He could have pulled Simon aside and rebuked Simon for what he said. He could have given Simon a Bible study and a lesson. But watch what he did. He looked right in the eyes of his number one disciple, the CEO of his coming company, and an organization and said get thee behind me Satan you savor the things of God men and not the things of God he knew it wasn't Simon doing the talking it was the spirit that was influencing Simon and you got to understand Jesus knew I'm not wrestling against Simon I'm wrestling against a devil that's influencing him I've been doing this for a lot of years now and I've dealt with people that if I said go right, they said go left. If I said the sky is blue, they said uh-uh, the sky is green. If I said heaven was up, they told everybody everywhere they went, look under your feet, that's where you'll find it. If I said do this, they said do that. And I had to learn that the battle was not them trying to frustrate me. It was the devil in hell putting thoughts in their minds and ideas in their minds and they embraced it and he used them. So I had to learn. I'm not wrestling against sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so. I'm wrestling against a spirit that's got his hands on somebody's life and you don't need to rebuke them. You need to pray against the spirit that's got his hands on them. It's not the people, it's the spirit behind the people that wants to keep confusion and challenges going on. You know, there was a very powerful lesson that was learned in the Garden of Eden. I've thought about this many times. When the Lord showed up and the sin was committed and the trouble was committed and here's Adam and here's Eve and here's the serpent. Adam and Eve were cursed, but so was the serpent. And I've always felt sorry for the serpent. Because by the time God got there, the devil is gone. The influence is gone. The voice that was speaking through that serpent has exited the garden. All that's left now is the vessel that yielded itself to be a mouthpiece of the devil. But you got to understand that when the devil walks away from the situation, you're going to deal with the repercussions of allowing his influence in your life. The devil will be long gone by the time judgment comes. But you're going to have to deal with the repercussions so you better pay attention. Whose mouthpiece am I? Am I a puppet of the enemy or is God speaking through me? Is this my flesh talking or is this the Holy Ghost? Somewhere in the course of your life, you've got to stop fussing with your kids. You've got to stop fussing with your spouse. He ain't listening to you anyway. Somebody slipped back there and turned my mic up. I don't think they heard me. He ain't listening to you anyway. You know what he hears? 
Wah, 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 wah. Man, I, they don't know it, but I am preaching right now. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen right now. We have to learn to do battle spiritually, not in the flesh. We have to study who we are fighting. We have to develop a strategy. It's not flesh and blood. You are fighting a devil, a spirit. Now, my mother could not logically convince my dad to change his drug and alcohol abuse when I was a kid. And they had a lot of fights, a lot of fussing, and a lot of, you know, I'm going to sleep on this end of the house, you sleep on that. They had a lot of that. But when she decided, I'm not, he's not the problem, the spirit driving him and controlling him is the problem, and she started praying and fighting the spirit that was holding him and started doing battle in the realm of the spirit, God came on the scene and changed him. Can I tell you, your situation's not gonna change until you figure out, I'm not fighting him, she's not the problem, the problem is the spirit. Our battle, according to verse 12, is fourfold. There are four entities laid out in black and white for us. Here it is, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against a spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places, or the King James says high places. So we have to learn to do battle in four areas. Watch this. Number one, here's what they are. Principalities. What is a principality? I'm glad you asked. It is a prince over a palady. That's deep in the Greek and the Hebrew. I know you're laughing, but that's what it is. Watch. Hear me now. Principalities are demons who have rankings. They have been ranked. They are ranked demons. Now what you've got to understand is that just like God created his kingdom with an authority structure, the same way the devil replicated in his kingdom when he saw as an angel in heaven and learned from God that God created his power structure, the devil created his spiritual hierarchy and the demonic realm. I taught you a while back that you can spend all your time battling against footmen devils. Devils that are low ranking, they're, they're just infantry, they're, they're not skilled in any area. I, I'm talking about, how many have ever fought car won't start devils? Refrigerator went out, devils. Flat tire on the way to work, devils. Headache, devils. These spirits have one job in the devil's hierarchy, to keep you tired, worn out, frustrated, and angry, and there are a billion of these little devils running around, and they're going to mess with you every day of your life. But if you want to advance in the kingdom and the work of God, you've got to get to the place where these demons don't even show up on your radar. You've got to conquer principalities over entire areas if you want the kind the revival that God's called us to we got to put these footmen devils under our feet and we got to move on to a higher power structure let, let me break this down I won't stay here long and, and I'm not saying there are three devils 
But there are definitely three spirits. And you need to write this down. These are three spirits that until you conquer them, you will not have lasting and consistent victory in your life. All of the devils, all of the spirits that you're going to have to defeat fall under three categories in your life. Are you ready? Number one, moral impurity. Now watch this. Morals are impure. Immorality. The spirits that fall under this category in hierarchy are lust, perversion, adultery, fornication, the alphabets, you know, LGBTQ. And until you deal with moral, impure spirits, you're going to fall every time. No, no. You've got to understand, it all falls. Moral impurity. You've got to defeat this in your life. It's coming for every man. It's on the way to every woman's address, every teenager, every young boy, every young girl. You've got to conquer this. And you can't pray this out. You can't cast this away. These are works of the flesh. You have to crucify works of the flesh. I've had young boys come to me, young teenagers, and say, Brother, I want you to lay hands on me and cast out the spirit and desire for young girls. And I say, I can't do that. God put that in you so you can find a wife one day. He's not, you, you've got to learn, what, what we talk about discipline, you've got to learn discipline in this area of your life. You know what the Bible said about fornication? It didn't say grab a Bible, stand there and quote scripture at it. It didn't say cast it out. It didn't say rebuke it. It said turn and run the other way. Flee fornication. You don't stand there and talk in tongues over it, pray over it, plead the blood over it. You go the other way because you've got to crucify this in your life. So number one, moral impurity. Number two, you're not going to understand this until I explain it. The spirit of bitterness. This is a massive deal in the church. According to Hebrews, bitterness begins as a root beneath the soil. But as it grows and sprouts, it just doesn't defile you. It defiles everything connected with you. It defiles your marriage, your kids, your finances, your friends, everything in your life. When somebody hurts you and you get bitter and you can't stand that person and when you see them calling you on the phone, you send it to voicemail. You don't answer their text. You don't want to have anything to do with them. You have not forgiven them for what they did. You have opened up an avenue. No, you've opened up a 12-lane interstate for the enemy to torment you, control your life, and keep you under his thumb 
You don't know how many people in the church right now are dealing with what somebody said, what somebody did, how somebody responded to them, how somebody didn't pay attention to them, how many people are dealing with these spirits in their life because they have allowed bitterness to get a hold of them. When somebody's bitter, you can't make them smile. You couldn't tickle them and make them laugh. You couldn't tell them a joke and make them laugh. Everything in their world has been contaminated with bitterness and you'll never do right by them. You'll never make them happy. You will never be able to see them used of God because they're bitter. And you got to conquer that in your life. Why do you think Jesus talks so much about forgiveness? Because of this spirit of bitterness. Number three. So we've got, we, we, we've got moral impurity. We've got to deal with that. Spirit of bitterness. And number three. This is the dangerous one. This is the one that you can have the Holy Ghost and be living right in every area of your life. And if you're not careful, this one right here will be the one that will cause you to be lost. Are you ready? Number three, temporal values. Temporal values is when you have made things more important to you than God. When your values are skewed by property, possessions, money, and anything that doesn't possess inherent eternal value. That is a person that is driven by things that do not last. They are things that consistently come before God, the work of God, the worship of God, the church, and spiritual things take a back seat to temporal things. They don't have an eternal mindset. They have a right now present day mindset. Their mind is controlled and dominated by the temporary. And we spend time as leaders in churches trying to help people in these three areas because if you don't conquer these spirits, you will be cursed to live under the hand of the devil in perpetuity forever and ever and ever and ever. You will never have the victory and you will never live in a place of consistency in your life. So principalities are demons who are ranked. And number one, they're grouped according to how and, and what their purposes are. Watch this. If you fall prey to one of these spirits, then you have opened yourself to all of the spirits that are attached to it. You know what Jesus said? He said, when a devil leaves a person, it'll come back, find the place, swept, garnished, ready to move in, but it's empty. What does he do? He doesn't move in. He goes and finds seven devils just like him, but worse. And they come and move in. And Jesus said the, the latter state of that person is worse than the first. Let, let me help you understand it. If you fall into drugs, you won't stop there. How many of you have ever heard gateway drugs? It, it just starts with a little drugs. And then before you know it, Nobody starts off day one as a full-on junkie selling themselves for a hit. 
Nobody starts off uh, as an alcoholic. It starts with a sip. It starts with something light. It starts with, but then it morphs into the heavier and heavier stuff because you open yourself up to spirits that are attached to that spirit and they're just going to drag you further and further down. Nobody starts off day one as a depraved uh, pervert in perversion. It starts with a look. Then it morphs into a feeling. Then it grows into a thought that you can't get out of your head. And then thoughts morph into actions. And before long, you are trapped in an ungodly lifestyle that you can't get out of on your own. Because these spirits travel in packs and in groups. So what you got to understand is, give no place to the devil. Not small devils, not minimum devils, not little situations. Give no place to the devil. Because the devil's not going to stop when just riding in the car with you before it's over he's going to drive the car am I preaching all right right now you getting this I'm almost done I gotta hurry number two he said principalities and powers powers are defined as entities with the ability capacity control authority and influence I want you to know, don't buy into the lie that the devil's powerless. He has power. The devil can do supernatural things. The devil can get you out of a wheelchair. In the last days, the Bible said that the beast who worships the dragon is going to be able to call fire down from out of heaven. He's powerful. He can function with power in your life. He doesn't have all power, but he has power. We are wrestling against power. He has capacity and control. In fact, principalities and powers, again, to my earlier point, are often linked together in Scripture. Look at Romans 8.38. Paul said, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. They are all Often linked together. They work in tandem. Now, I can't finish this today. You're going to have to come back tonight to get the rest of this. But hear me. I got to drive this point home. This is where we're going to stop. Here's what I want you to see as I'm closing. That according to this scripture, it doesn't matter. That they are linked together, but it doesn't matter. Height, depth, angels, principalities, power, whatever comes. None of these things, Paul said, can separate us from the love that God has for us. That's so important for you to know as I close today because the devil wants to make you think and understand that God doesn't like you and that God doesn't love you. And it's important for you to understand today that Jesus does love me. And that in spite of what you've done, no matter how you have fallen, no matter how often you have done it, no matter how messed up your life may be, you need to know that you don't have to get good to get Jesus, that Jesus will take you just as you are. 
I've heard people say over and over again, well, I'm going to come to church when I get this fixed and I get this corrected and I get this done. And when I get this fixed, then I'm going to come give my life to God. You've got the cart before the horse. You need to understand that if you could have fixed this stuff, you'd have fixed it a long time ago. What you need is the power of the Holy Ghost on the inside of you to set you free. It's important for you to understand that Jesus loves you just as you are. And the devil's number one goal and purpose is to get you to a place where you feel separated from that love. To make you feel isolated from that love. The initial victory that you got to win in fighting the devil. The very first victory in the fight against the enemy is the knowledge and consistent understanding that it doesn't matter what I've done, where I've been, how many times I've done it, who I did it with. Jesus still loves me and he's still drawing me and he still cares about me. John, the hardest understanding, spiritual understanding that I ever came to was the understanding that God loved me, that God cared about me, that he cared about my life. When people walked away and people didn't love me and people didn't care about me, Jesus stepped in and loved me when I was in an unlovable situation. He cared about my life. He cared about my future. He cared about my destiny. Have I done things that would have made him walk away? Sure, I've done things that God should have walked away, but he didn't walk away. He kept loving me and reaching for me. Had he not abandoned me, had he not kicked me to the curb, he never forsook me. Have I done enough for him to forsake me? Yes. Have I done and said enough for him to walk away? Yes. But the fact is he didn't because he loves me just as I am. And you got to understand, he loves you. How many will raise your hand right now and testify just, just with a signal and a sign that I should be dead, but God spared my life. I should be six foot under in a grave in a vault somewhere, but God loved me and he protected me and he spared me. The devil has power. The devil has ranked demons. The devil has strength, but he doesn't have enough demons, devils, imps in hell to take my life out of God's plan and to take my life out of God's hand. He is on my side. He is fighting for me. And it doesn't matter what comes against me. It doesn't matter how high it is, how deep it goes. It doesn't matter if it's a principality or a power. It doesn't matter if it's my past or my current situation. It can't separate me from the love. That's it. It can't separate me from the love of God. Lift your hands right now and praise Him for that, that, that immutable and changeable fact that God, He loves me. He loves me. Now, I don't care how you walked in here. He loves you. I don't care what inconsistencies have come to bear in your life. He loves you in spite of those inconsistencies. The Bible says you might find Somebody that would die for a good man. 
If you looked hard enough, you might find somebody that would give their life for a righteous person. He said, but this is the love of God. That while we were yet sinners, He loved us. He died for us. He reached us. He loved us when we were unlovable. And so as we close out this service today, here's what I want to do. I just want us to reciprocate, to turn again and show our gratitude for how He has loved us, kept us, provided for us. Would you lift your hands and say, God, I'm not worthy of your love. I've never done anything in my life that merited your favor, but you loved me anyway. You loved me in spite of my sins, my failures. If you want to climb out of that pew and walk down to this front and just get closer to where he is and lift your hands and say, God, I, I just want to say I'm thankful for the way you have made for me. I just want to let you know today that I wouldn't be here were it not for you, your love, your mercy, your power, your gracefulness, that you have just so abandoned your love toward me. You have just, you're just reckless in your abandon toward me that you care about me even when I am unlovable when I do things to make you turn your face in shame you never blush you never kick me to the curb you never abandon me you love me. Come on, let's, let's just reach out to him right now and say, God, I'm thankful that even in the height of my failure and sin, that even while I was in a pig pen in a far country and I'd wasted everything you'd ever given me, you loved me and you accepted me and you called me. Come on, let's just raise it up right now. Let's raise it up right now. Let's raise it up right now. Come on, there are too many of you in here that think you merit the love of God. You think that because of your last name and the money in your bank account that God ought to be thankful to have you in church today. But what you need to understand that He holds your heart in His hands. He holds your life in His hands. And at any moment, He could snuff your light out. You need to give your heart to Him with everything you have today.